0: Well, this morning, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we are a couple of weeks in a series called The Sufficiency of Christ, The Sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you're turning in, in, in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, let me just remind you that this epistle, uh, given by the Holy Spirit of God, was given through the Apostle Paul, and it was directed to believers at Colossae, a city in Asia Minor, in an area called Phrygia, uh, the Apostle Paul did not start this church personally. As a matter of fact, he really desired to get there in person to encourage these believers. But even though Paul didn't didn't start this church, there's no question about his love and his care and his concern for these believers at Colossae. As a matter of fact, he wanted to see them in the flesh. He wanted to impart uh, wisdom from the scriptures into their life. He wanted their faith to increase. And uh, and so as you're turning to Colossians one, that's just a little bit of background about this book. Uh, this this book really focuses on the topic of the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme, and what that means for you and I is that He's sufficient, and 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 supremacy is of no value to you and I unless we understand that he is sufficient in all things. And so and so many authors, when they look at this book, they talk about the supremacy of Christ, and that is a true statement. but without application, that doesn't matter in your life. And so Christ has to become supreme. But he also has to be sufficient in our lives. And that's what we're learning out of the book of Colossians. And so this morning, we're going to read uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. And, and you'll see it on the screen. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along with me. Colossians 1, verse 9 says this. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which He hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in lights in, in, in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his, of his dear Son. Uh, what's interesting when, when you get into Colossians chapter 1, actually verses 9 all the way to verse 17 is one sentence. And so if you've ever read the Bible and you paid attention to the punctuation, which by the way you should, uh, that's a, a an extremely long sentence uh, that, that Paul is revealing and laying out. We're not going to cover all of that this morning, but we will cover through Verse thirteen, and so we're going to begin this morning by just breaking down this portion of Scripture. And the first thing that we're going to see is number one, we're going to see Paul's prayer and his desire and what he's praying for and and he's desiring for the believers at Colossae is that the will of God be accomplished and, and become a reality in their life. As a matter of fact, he says in verse nine, for this cause we also since the day we heard of it in other words when we heard of the faith that these colossian believers had we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding and so the first thing that we see as we as we get into this portion of scripture is we see Paul's prayer and desire for the will of God to become a reality in the life of the Colossian believers, let me just say this the Apostle Paul was a good minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a good minister, he was committed to two things that every minister has to be committed to ministry in prayer and ministry of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 6, we don't have time this morning to really look at it, but in Acts chapter 6, the early apostles, In the early church, as the church was growing and expanding, they faced some challenges. And the apostles in Acts chapter 6 realized that there's such a tremendous need in the body of Christ that we need to appoint some spirit-filled men to deal with some of the issues that they were having uh, in the early church, many people believe, and I personally believe, those were kind of the, the precursor to deacons that were a, a, a appointed in Acts chapter 6. But the reason why those apostles felt like that was important, because in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, those apostles says that, they, they said that we must give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Listen, Paul was an apostle just like the early apostles in in the book of Acts. He was a good minister, and so he had to focus his ministry on prayer and administering the word of God to the churches. Listen, every good minister has to pray for his congregation. And, And let me just tell you, now more than ever, man, pastors all over this country are praying specifically for their church, for their congregations. Let me ask you, church, the people that you disciple, the people that you minister to, how much time do you spend in prayer for them? You know, it is important to note, as we look at this passage, we're going to observe what Paul did pray for. By default, we'll discern what he did not pray for. You see, the apostle Paul did not pray for the Colossian believers' health, wealth, comfort, financial security, family, personal desires, Job, a raise, a house, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Actually, Paul didn't mention any of those things. And, and have you ever stopped to measure the content of your prayers? Listen, this, this is convicting to me. You know, those are the things many times in church world that we pray for. We pray for, for health, wealth, and prosperity and comfort. And, and yeah, we pray for the spiritual things too. But listen, Paul didn't mention any of those things. He actually prayed some very specific things, and we'll get to that in just a second. You know, the reality is that most Christians in our culture of Christianity, we just don't pray. Number one, we don't pray. Now, now we do post on social media, and that's been evident probably now more than ever. What, what's interesting is when we're under pressure, whatever's on the inside comes out. And the truth is, as we look at our social media accounts and post all over the country and all of our friends that profess to know Christ and all these different things, well, it doesn't seem that there's a lot of praying going on, but there is a lot of posting going on. And there is a lot of pondering why is this happening? Why is God allowing this? How do we get a cure? How do we get a vaccine? But the thing that's missing, probably out of most Christians' lives in these days, is the issue of prayer. It's the issue of prayer. And I, and I want you to understand today that the Apostle Paul prayed, number one, he, per, he prayed a persistent prayer for the Colossian believers. As a matter of fact, in the text, it says that we do not cease to pray for you. You see, many times when we pray, that's a, that's a, that's a one and done. We did it in the past. We prayed once for, for COVID-19. We prayed once for our nation. We prayed once for our leaders uh, and now I need to get on my social media account and post and, and fret and ponder over what's going to happen next, and get in line for toilet paper, because if you don't get in line, then of course, bad things happen. First Thessalonians chapter five tells us that we are to pray. The Bible says, without ceasing. We're to pray without ceasing. Second Timothy chapter one and verse three says this, "I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing," Paul says. I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. Listen, night and day. Paul was persistent in prayer. And the question for us is are we? Are we persistent in prayer, or are, are, are night and day we pondering? Are, are, are we posting? Are we fretting? Are we uncertain? Or are we just consistent and persistent? And the very thing that God hears and answers, prayer. So, so, so first off, we see that Paul, his prayer for these Colossian believers was a persistent prayer. Secondly, we see that Paul's prayer for these Colossians was a very precise prayer. It was a very precise prayer. His prayer was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That was his prayer. And again, it is important for us to, to, to back up and say, what did he pray for? What did he not pray for? Well, all the things that we mentioned, health, wealth, prosperity, comfort, cure, vaccination. Listen, and all those things are important. I'm not minimizing any of those things. But the most important thing that we could pray for anyone is that they're filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That was Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers. And, and listen, that's my prayer for our our church, our community fellowship Baptist Church. And the truth is, every minister of the gospel ought to be praying for God's will to be a reality amongst their congregations. So it begs the question what is God's will? What is God's will? If we're praying for God's will, well, what is God's will according to the Bible? Well, as we study the, the scriptures together this morning, we're going to find that God's will actually is very clearly defined in the Bible. The first and foremost thing that, that is God's will is number one, or point A in your notes, look, it's God's will that all men be saved. It's God's will that all men be saved. And the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward, not willing. Listen, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so listen, here, here's, here's the way it works. If you want to be in the will of God for your life, if you want to make the, God, the will of God a reality for your life, well, the first way you do that is you align yourself with God's will for your life, and you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You come to Christ. You respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that he died and was buried and he rose again for your sin. And he did that according to the scriptures. And, and because you can be forgiven, listen, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's how you get into the arena of God's will. That's the door in. It's through salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now listen, this thing of God's will works works itself out in two different ways. Number one, if you're not saved, God's will is that you get saved. But number two, if you are saved, it is God's will that you become a soul winner. It is God's will that you become a gospel preacher. You say, I'm not a preacher. Well, yes, you are, because listen, God's will is that all men be saved. And he wants you to use the gospel of Jesus Christ to communicate that to other people, to your neighbor, to your family, to your coworker, to the person that you know has never heard. And, and the only Christian around is you. Listen, friend, God, his will is that you become a soul winner to preach Christ. That's the point. That is God's will for every one of our lives, to come to repentance and then to preach the gospel so that all men may hear Well, the second thing that's God's will, point B in your notes, is this. It's God's will that every believer be spirit-filled. Now, now we have plenty of more blanks on your notes and on the screen. And, And for some of you, this is going to be a challenge because you thought that when you got saved, that was it. You thought that once you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you repented of your sin and accepted Christ, that you're good, man. And yet, God's will is so much more than that. God's will is that every believer in Christ be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5 and verse 17 says this, and verse 18, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And you would say, hey, Jay, I don't touch the stuff. Well, the, the, the verse doesn't stop there. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The commandment to be filled with the Spirit is equally as strong as the commandment to not be drunk with wine. And many Christians, man, they would err on the one side of that and say, Man, I never touch this stuff. The problem is they never get to the other side of the coin and actually become filled with the Spirit of God. It is God's will that we be Spirit-filled, that we walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit of God control us and live through us and empower us for service to our Lord and Savior, a carnal Christian is not spirit filled. A carnal Christian is not in the will of God for his life. You may be saved as the day is long, but if the Spirit of God is not filling you and empowering you and equipping you and using you for the gospel ministry, friend, uh, with love, may I say, you're probably not in the will of God for your life. Number three, point C in your notes. Listen, it's God's will. That every believer be thankful. That every believer be thankful. You say, Jay, I don't have a whole lot to thank the Lord about these days. Man, things are hard. COVID-19, I'm I'm, I'm losing hours at work. I'm, I'm, I'm scared for my life. I'm scared to get out of my house. All these different things. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says this. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Man, listen, every Christian on this planet ought to be given thanks to God right now. Why? Because we have every promise that God has promised us through his word. We have the assurance of our salvation. We have the assurance of his his love. We have the assurance of his ever-present spirit that seals us at the day of redemption. Listen, when we come to Christ, we have so many things, and yet so many people are focused on what they don't have. When you focus on what you have in Jesus Christ, it drives you To give thanks. And listen, it is the will of God that we be thankful for His grace and mercy and provision and sustenance and His promises, even in these days. Point number four in your notes is this it is God's will that every believer be sanctified. And that word sanctified means to be set apart. It is God's will that every believer in Christ be sanctified. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 4, for this is the will of God. In the, the Bible, really just hard to understand. I mean, it just kind of tells you right there. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification and honor. For every child of God, being set apart, being holy, being being available for the master's use, abstaining from fornication, that is God's will for every believer in Christ. That's God's will. It's God's will that you be sanctified. And, And so listen, church, if we're not walking in holiness, if we're not possessing our vessel and sanctification and honor. Well, the reality is we're not in the will of God for our life. I didn't, I didn't say you weren't saved. I just said that, that you weren't in the will of God for your life according to the Word of God. Paul's prayer for the Colossians was that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Number next, Number five is this. It's God's will that every believer submit. Submit is the blank. It's God's will that every believer be submissive in their attitude. And we get that out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. The Bible says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Some of us are struggling with that right now. Stay at home order, right? Don't go out. God says that we are to be submissive, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, by God, For the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God says when a child of God, when a believer in Jesus Christ submits themselves to authority, whether that's God's authority, governmental authority, pastoral authority, listen, life is full of authority. God uses authority. God established authority. When we submit ourselves, well, the Bible says that we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, as, as believers in Christ, we actually silence the critics by walking in the will of God for our life, by being submissive to those in authority over us. It actually shuts their mouth, which in this day and age, is needful. Number six, it's God's will that we serve. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 7 says this, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. And again, God tells us how we're to serve our our masters according to the flesh, our employer, our, our authorities. Listen, we do it not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. And, and listen, ultimately, at the end of the day, our ultimate authority is always Christ. And the way that we serve or to be as we are serving Christ. When you go to work, you're serving Christ. When, when you're obeying government authorities, listen, you're serving Christ. You're, you're serving, you're doing good will, as to the Lord, the Bible says. And then number seven, and this one's not popular, but it is biblical. The Bible tells us in, in, in 1 Peter 3 that it's God's will that we sometimes suffer. It is God's will that we sometimes suffer. This one ought to be a reality for us right now. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3 and verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer... For well doing, than for evil doing, and again in verse chapter four, verse nineteen, same book, it says, "Wherefore let them that suffer, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well doing, as unto a faithful Creator." You know the reality is our Lord Jesus Christ suffered when He was on this planet, when He when He tried to fulfill His ministry and did fulfill His ministry, when He submitted Himself to His heavenly Father's will. Well, listen, He suffered. He did suffer on this this earth. And listen, we can partake of the fellowship of his sufferings. That's part of God's will for our life. And so Paul's prayer and Paul's desire for the Colossian believers was that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That that would be the the, the fullness of their life. That, that, That every Christian would understand these seven principles because these are God's will for every believer and for every man. And he says, I want, you to, I want you to get that with all wisdom. And then he says, with spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. Now listen, you may have heard me rattle off those seven things and say, well, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't make sense in my mind as I reason through those seven things. Well, the reason why is because it takes a spiritual understanding to discern that and to receive that. As a matter of fact, God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, it's not on the screen, but just listen, that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, they're foolishness unto him. God tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, as we, as we read through the scriptures, we look at that will of God and, and those seven characteristics. And the truth is that we see every one of those played out perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submitted himself. He, he walked in the will of his Father. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 10, it tells us, Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me, and and this is talking about Jesus Christ, to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in his humanity, he made a decision to forsake his human will so that he could walk in obedience to his Father's will. As a matter of fact, in Luke 22, verse 42, many of you know this, this passage in the garden, Jesus Christ is praying, and he says, Father, if thou be willing Remove this cup from me. Talking about the cross, the judgment for sin. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As the Son of God, Jesus Christ submitted himself to his Father's will. And I'll say this, that any son of God, any child of God, any born-again believer has to make a decision and to desire to see God's will accomplished in their life, it begins in our heart. It begins in our heart. And Paul, as a good minister, said to these Colossian believers, listen, this is the most important thing I could pray for you. This is the most important thing. Forget anything else that you think is important. What is the most important is that you be filled with the knowledge of what the will of God is for your life. That was his prayer. That was his desire. And then what we see in the next verses, verses 10 to 11, is we see a practical application of the will of God. In other words, when we take what what Paul is praying for those Colossian believers and we put feet on it, we put flesh on it, and we see it lived out, there are actually four different characteristics or, or traits that we see manifest. Verse 10 says this, "...that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness." And, and, and so in this next two verses, what we see is a practical application of the will of God being lived out. In other words, when we are filled with the will, the will of God, the knowledge of the will of God, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, well, there's four things that are going to happen. Number one, we're going to have a worthy walk. When we're filled with the, the will of God, the knowledge of the will of God, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, the first thing that's going to happen is that we are going to have a worthy walk. Paul says, I want to see you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And so the Christian life, that's what it is. It is a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's a step-by-step, day-by-day process. And Paul's very specific. The Word of God is very specific in this, in this text. He says, you know what? I want you to walk, how? Worthy. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto all pleasing. So worthy is the manner in which We walk with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, excuse me, Ephesians 4 and verse 1 says this. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk, here it is, worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. That's how we walk with the Lord. it's, It's the manner in which we walk. God's instruction to us is to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So the reality is, every child of God has a walk with Christ. The question is, is it a worthy walk? Is it a worthy walk or is it an unworthy walk? You know, the Bible does talk about people in Second Thessalonians 3 walking disorderly, not behaving themselves worthily, but, but behaving themselves disorderly. We have to examine our walk. Listen, if, if the will of God is a reality in our life, the truth is we're going to have a worthy walk. We're either walking worthy or unworthily. And, and, and when the will of God becomes a reality, well, well, listen, our steps will be right. You can measure your walk by how you're walking. You can also measure your walk by where you're going. You know, if you're struggling maybe with this point and you say, well, how do I know if I'm walking worthy of the Lord? Well, take a look behind you and see what you're walking away from, and that'll give you good indication of what you're walking toward. It'll give you a good indication of what you're walking toward, and if you're walking away from things that are disorderly and dishonest and unworthy of the Lord, well, you're probably walking toward things that are worthy of the Lord. You're walking in a manner and in a direction that's pleasing Him, but if you were to examine your life and say, well... The things that I'm leaving behind is my Bible, my prayer time, my church family, discipleship, the ordinances, living a holy life. I'm walking away from those things. Well, friend, you're walking, but you're not walking worthy of the Lord. You're actually walking unworthy of the Lord. So how do you fix that? You turn your feet. You, You turn your feet. It's called repentance. You turn your feet based on the Word of God, and you begin to walk back with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that we see, when the will of God becomes a reality in our life, we have a worthy walk. Number Number B, our, our second point I always say that, number B. The second point that, that will become a reality in our life is fruitful works. Paul goes on to say that, that you're going to walk worthy, and then you're going to be fruitful in every good work. Now let me just say this. Listen, salvation in Jesus Christ is by faith alone, without works. There's no work that you can do to be, to be saved. You can't be a good enough neighbor. You can't give enough money to the church. You can't be baptized. You can't work your way to salvation at all. It's by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Listen, however, every born-again believer now, once they become saved, they're called to be fruitful in good works. It is a result of salvation not to attain Salvation, As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5 and, and verse 16, Jesus himself says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, listen, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So let me just make it practical. Listen, if the will of God is a reality in your life, number one, you're going to have a worthy walk. Number two, you are going to have fruitful works. You're going to have fruitful works. What's on the inside is going to come out. So now more than ever, in these times and in these days, the church of Jesus Christ ought to be working. It is time for good works. You say, well, Jay, didn't you read the news? They told us to stay at home. Well, okay, use your discernment and discretion. I will say this in Romans chapter 13 and verse 3. The Bible does give us some clarification concerning governmental authorities on this issue of good works. The Bible says in verse 3 that rulers are not a terror to good works. But to evil. Will thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. You know, the reality is that right now the ground is fertile for the church of Jesus Christ to be about good works. You're to be loving God because God commands us to love Him, and you're to be loving your neighbor. You're to be loving your neighbor. And I, I don't mean just shooting him a text message. I mean, literally, loving your neighbor. Loving in the Bible is always characterized by giving. What can you give? What, what, where are the needs that, that God would allow you to step in and do a good work to meet the need in the name of Jesus Christ? See, see the, the problem is, right now, there are many a Christian, man, that are just living in fear instead of faith. And instead of being fruitful in good works, we're fearful in hiding. And now more than ever is the time of the church of Jesus Christ to be fruitful in every good work. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God tells us at the judgment seat of Christ, what will be measured and weighed and judged will be our works. Every man will stand and give an account of his works. And so let me encourage the church, listen, isolating yourself from your family and your friends and from your community, leads to barrenness and unfruitfulness. It leads to loss of influence as the children of God. God has commanded us to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we as the church of Jesus Christ cannot neglect this, even in the midst of a global pandemic. As a matter of fact, if you study church history, it's always been the church that cares for the sick. It's always been the church that that is fruitful and good works when everything else fails. Why? Because it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about the Spirit of God in us. It is about the will of God being accomplished through us. God says if the will of God is a reality in your life, you're going to be filled, fruitful unto every good work. Well, number three, Paul says, look, a result of the will of God in your life is, is number three, spiritual intimacy. He says his prayer and and his admonition to the Colossian believer is, you're going to increase in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, I I made this comment, I think, last week, and, and, and what God has done, I believe, has taken every excuse off the table for us to know Him. You know, many times in the busyness of life, with careers and schedules and ball for our kids and activities and organizations and hobbies and work. And, and listen, God, God certainly knows all of those things are good things, but they can also become idols in our life. And God has absolutely taken all of those things off the table. And the reality is we have more time than ever to know Him. We have more time than ever to be spiritually intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that, listen, to know Christ more is going to cost you something. Salvation is free. We have a saying around our church that salvation is free. Discipleship is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. Paul understood this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, Paul, Paul kind of got out the slide rule and the, and the pencil, and he began to account, what is it going to cost me to get the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? What is it going to cost me to get spiritually intimate with my Lord and Savior? And Paul says, I've counted all things loss so that I can know Christ. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You see, there's a lot of of people in our culture today that think that they have lost all things because they can't watch their sports, they can't go to their job, they can't do what they want to do, and the reality is what they're losing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you, Christian, to walk with the Lord Jesus. It's going to cost you. To know Him and to gain the knowledge of Christ Jesus, your Lord. Paul said, "I've counted the loss of all things so that I can know Him." Proverbs chapter two verses three to five says, "says This, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her, the knowledge of God, if you seek her as silver and searches for her as." For hid treasure, the Bible says, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know, the reality is, you and I have as much of the knowledge of God as we want. You're, you're as close to Christ right now as you want to be. Now listen, Paul's desire for the Colossian believers was that they would increase in the knowledge of of Christ, that they would increase the spiritual intimacy they have with their Lord and Savior. And again, one of the struggles that we face right now is isolation and confinement. And and we know as humans that the way that we experience community is through conversation and through interaction and through fellowship and through time spent together. But friends, that's the same way that we develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's exactly how we increase in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And God has cleared our schedule so that now more than ever, we can increase in the knowledge of Him. I hope and pray the same thing that Paul prayed for the Colossians. I hope and pray that for our church and for every Christian that's listening. That your walk with Jesus Christ in the last three weeks has deepened exponentially. If it has not, examine why. Count the cost. Get off social media and get in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. You have the time. You have the time. Well, lastly, what Paul prayed and and what Paul modeled for us as an example of the will of God being accomplished is spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. He says in in, in the verse there that that his desire is to see the Colossian believers strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. What Paul is praying for these Colossian believers is not physical strength. It's, It's not a physical strength. It's not a physical manifestation. It is an inward spiritual strength. You think about people that spend tremendous amounts of time and money and energy getting into physical shape. And listen, I've, I've told you for years at our church, I'm a man, I, I used to be a part of that world, and sadly I've, I've gotten away from it. And I'm not knocking it. It is important that we do take care of this, this body that God has given us to, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. It is important that we do that. But I, but I want you to think about the people that spend so much time, energy, effort, and emphasis increasing physical strength and then look at how much time money energy effort and intentionality is spent increasing spiritual strength in the life of a believer the reality is that 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 not many people put forth the time and the effort and the energy god god's will is that we be spiritually strong And in times like this especially, those that are strong in faith and strong in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, listen, it shows. And those that need to strengthen their their walk with Him, well, it shows. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3 and verse 16 that the Spirit of God is what strengthens us. It says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. So the Spirit of God, and again, listen, if we get back to, to being sensitive to the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit, God says that we will be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Many of you know this passage, Philippians 4 and verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so Paul understood the spiritual strength Of the Spirit of God. He understood the spiritual strength of Jesus Christ in his life. It's not on the the, the slides, but listen, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 17, when Paul had nobody else with him, I mean, listen, facing a low point in ministry, the Bible says in verse 17, second 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17, Paul says, Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul just made a point that when God strengthens us, it isn't just for our benefit. It's so that we can get the gospel out. It's so that we can do the work of the ministry that God's called us to do. And and when we have spiritual strength, there's three things mentioned that will be manifest. Patience, long-suffering, Oh, and by the way, joyfulness. 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 Listen, when, when, when you are spiritually strong in the Lord, the Bible says in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, that the joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. It comes from spiritual maturity. It, it comes from walking in the will of God. Well, as we wind it down, let's, let's look at verses 12 to 13, and, and let's, let's end on this point. So, so we've seen Paul's prayer and desire for the Colossian believers. We've seen that practical application of the will of God being played out in their life. And number 3 what we're going to see is a praise that results. A praise that results from walking in the will of God. Verse 12 says this. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. God says that when we walk in the will of God, and it literally is applied practically, and those four things become a reality, well, the, the end result of that is, we're going to give thanks unto the Father. We're going to give thanks unto the Father. And listen, all through the Scripture, listen, it is right to give thanks. Ephesians 5 and verse 20 says this, giving thanks always... For all things, unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That word meet means suitable. God says that we're to give thanks for all things. I used to to think that we just gave thanks in everything until a brother shared this verse with me, and then I changed my doctrine because God even says that we're to be thankful for all things because all things work together for, for good according to Romans chapter 8, and verse 28. Psalm 100, verse 4 says this, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Church, you still have plenty to be thankful for in these days. And God gives you two reasons right there in that passage to be thankful. Number one, God has delivered us from the power of darkness. Hello? I mean, listen, if you're saved... God has delivered you from the power of darkness, and He's translated you into the kingdom of His dear Son. He, he's moved you from darkness to light. He's moved you from the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of His dear Son. It, it's a translation, the Bible calls that, and, and in your definition, look, the, to translate biblically means to transfer from one state to another state or to transpose From one location to another. Oh, and by the way, every time you see the word translate in the Bible, whatever is being moved always moves to a superior state. In other words, God translated us from the power of darkness and the devil's kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son. I would dare say that's a superior state. You have some references in your notes, 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible talks about that the kingdom for the nation of Israel was translated from the house of Saul to the throne of David. And by the way, David was superior to Saul in every way. He was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 5 that Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By the way, you go back and study that in the book of Genesis. Enoch was found not because God translated him. He was not because God took him. Oh, and by the way, where he went was a much better and superior place than where he was. Guys, those are reasons enough that we ought to give God thanks. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into God's kingdom. If we will walk in the power of the will of God in our lives, well, listen, it's going to have a tremendous impact on this world. And right now, this world needs a tremendous impact from Jesus Christ. And so church, in closing, listen, my prayer and my desire for, for specifically CFBC, Community Fellowship Baptist Church, is that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's my prayer. And I'm praying it by faith that God would raise up a generation and another generation and another generation of disciples of Christ that walk worthy of the Lord. That walk worthy of the Lord. Let me ask you a question if you're listening today. Listen, is your walk worthy of the Lord or is it unworthy? If it's unworthy, the way you fix that is turn your feet. The way you fix that is to repent and start walking in a way that pleases the Lord. My prayer is that we, we're not only walking worthy, but my prayer is that we're fruitful unto every good work. And so the question is, are we even working? Are we even working? And if we are working, are the works that we do good or are they evil? Or are they evil? How's your spiritual intimacy with the Lord in these days? Listen, it's going to cost you. Are you growing in your spiritual intimacy? Are you growing in the knowledge Of the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, Jay, I know I'm saved. Well, that's great, man. I'm glad you're saved. But do you know him? Do you really know him? Do you know him like you know your best friend? Do you know his thoughts and his ways and his mind? That comes from spiritual intimacy. When you you have a mind that is the same mind as Christ, well, then you know him. And it's going to cost you to get that. And then lastly, my prayer is that we be a church of spiritual strength. We be a church of spiritual strength, strengthened by the Spirit of God, strengthened by Christ himself to get the gospel to the people that need to hear it. Church, that's what we need in these days. Listen, I love every one of you. I'm praying for every one of you. I'm thankful that you tuned in this morning. God bless you. Uh, as, we've, as we wind this thing down, I'm going to pray in just a second, but as we wind down, we're going to throw that prayer slide up one more time, and we're going to ask you to scan that. And if you know someone that, that, that needs prayer... Maybe you know someone personally in the medical field. Maybe you know someone that's not saved and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you just submit that as a prayer request and let us to begin pray, praying for those needs and for those people. And, and, and again, church family, I love you. If you have a need, please submit that for your, your family or for yourself because we covet the opportunity to pray for you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you again for the morning. Lord, I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for for streaming. I'm thankful for our team of volunteers. They do a tremendous job every week. Thank you for our worship team that comes and leads us. Lord, uh, these are weird days. I mean, honestly, they're, they're really strange. But Lord, we trust that you're in control. We trust that the Great Commission is still in effect. We trust and pray for our church that we would be filled with all the knowledge of the will of God with wisdom and spiritual understanding. And God, even right now, as we are separated and scattered and dispersed, we still have work to do. So God, help us to have a worthy walk and help us to have good works that go before us. God, help us to not live in fear, but live in faith and reach out and look at the needs in people's lives and love them and help them and serve them in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. Bless our church. We need you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.